Welcome to the record of our forebears podcast. I'm your host, Roland Godette III, and with me today is my wonderful wife, Summer Godette. And on the record of our forebears podcast, we're going to be discussing some, some of the stories of the dopest black folks that you may or may not have heard of. So grab a pen and some paper and get ready to learn something new. This is our first episode. I'm excited. I'm very excited. Yes. And today we're going to bring you Bishop Richard Allen. He's the Bishop of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Mm -hmm. And Sojourner Truth. Let's get into it. All right, let's go. So part of the um, reason that, you know, we talked about this for a while, Summer. The reason that we wanted to do something like this is because You know, in American history uh, or in America, history is often taught from like, you know, a certain perspective. And we tend to view it through uh, the pilgrims coming, landing, you know, the Mayflower. And then, you know, we follow that thread to like the founding fathers. And, you know, then they disagree with England. And then we follow that thread until we reach, you know, where we are today. And we do that, in my opinion, uh, to the detriment of a richer and deeper understanding of our country, I believe. And uh, some of the issues that we're still facing today as a country, I think, is because we don't have a full understanding of of our history. Um, so part of the reason we wanted to do this podcast was because we wanted to ask a question like, what if we would, instead of just starting at the Mayflower and following those families and their history until now that we started at the arrival of the white lion. So, you know what the white lion is? No. Okay, so. What's the white lion? The white lion is uh, the slave ship that landed in 1619. Mm. You know, we hear about 1619 all the time. That's the slave ship that landed in Virginia in 1619. Mm. And what if we followed those families and their uh, and that thread and those ideas that came off that slave ship with those people through history until we got to now? You know, how different, you know, with some of our views about our country and some of the issues that we're having today and some of the ways that we try to solve those issues and try to negotiate those issues. Mm, That's good. That's good. It's coming from a different perspective, right? Right. A different point of view. Right. And so I also feel like when it comes to church history, we kind of do the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we we tend to view church history kind of from a Western, like European type of lens also, Mm -hmm. where, you know, we will start at, you know, for the Christian church, we'll start maybe from the book of Acts you know, the foundation of the church. And then we'll like skip 1500 years and get to like Martin Luther. (laughs) And we don't really talk about like the people in between there. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I feel like some of those people are uh, important for, you know, how we discuss, you know, Christianity and Christianity in America. Definitely. So I think that, um, A lot of young black people are like walk away from the faith mm. and they reject the gospel because they think that Jesus is only for, you know, a certain group of people. They think that Jesus may only be for white people because mm-hmm. of how the way the history is taught. And we know that's not true. Like Christianity is for everybody. Of course. And we know throughout history, 
particularly American history, a lot of the people who struggled through um, some difficult times, whether it be slavery or Jim Crow, the thing that kept them uh, fighting was their faith in Christ. So Mm -hmm. we know that Christianity is not just for certain people, it's for everyone. That's good. That's good. Right. And I think that... I think that this podcast, hopefully, um, you know, the listeners learn something. Hopefully we learn something, you know, <laughs> as we discuss people that we may not have heard of. And, you know, and I'm excited. I am, too. I feel like every time I talk to you, I do learn something new. I mean, with almost every conversation. And I feel like people who who know you, they probably would agree with me. Like, I'm going to learn something new every time I... I am around Roland or in Roland's presence. And um, and I think that um, it's good because normally, I mean, sometimes it can just be, you know, some random information, but it, it, it's normally for the betterment, the betterment or the building up or, you know, so definitely. I hope so as well. And I agree with you. Yeah. So I think that, the, you know, the answer to uh, the, that prevailing view of history um what some would even call maybe a whitewashing of history. Mm. The answer to it isn't to fall off the horse on the other side. Okay. But the answer is to tell the whole truth okay. about the faith and the whole truth about history. Okay. Um, and so our aim, I think, is going to be to introduce, you know, each other and some of our listeners to uh, men and women uh, who you... Hopefully we get people who you haven't heard of before. We're definitely going to discuss some of the well-known people too, but um, we just hope that we can encourage you to go deeper into your faith um, as you learn about your and our ancestors in the faith. All right, so so the first person we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about Richard Allen. Bishop Richard Allen, um, one of the founders of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the AME Church. I'm just going to kind of go through some of his history and, you know, just stop me if you have anything. I sure will. Oh, you know I will. I will stop you and ask questions. All right. Okay. So uh, Richard Allen, he was born on February 14th, 1760 in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hmm. Uh, He was born into slavery. Um, His enslaver uh, was a man named Benjamin Chu. Uh, Benjamin True was a Quaker. He was a Quaker lawyer. And now, you know, most of the time we talk about Quakers, it's in the context of Quakers being abolitionists. Abolitionists, yes. But, you know, Quakers aren't a monolith, apparently. That's true. So some of them were not abolitionists. Okay. Um, uh, his family, uh, his parents and his three and three of his siblings, uh, he had four siblings. And so his parents and three of his siblings were sold to uh to other enslavers because Benjamin Chu had some debts he couldn't pay. Mm. So he had to sell, separate the family. And he ended up selling Richard Allen and one of his brothers uh, to, a, to a man in Delaware, a Stokely Sturgis in Delaware. Um, so Stokely Sturgis was not a Christian. Um, according to Richard Allen in his narrative uh, about his life uh, that he wrote towards the end of his life, uh, he said that Stokely Sturgis was a good man uh, he said that he didn't, there was no animosity or, you know, he was kind of treated like he was a part of the family. But he, Stokely Sturgis wasn't a Christian. Um, 
And back in those days in the 1700s, um, the slaves weren't allowed to go into white churches or anything like that. So the way that they would hear the gospel a lot of times would be from traveling preachers. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it would be other black preachers. Sometimes it would be white preachers, but they would travel and sometimes they would just meet out in the woods and, you know, they would hear the gospel and, you know, worship God. And so uh, when he was about 17 years old, it was about 1777, um, he heard a preacher uh, out in the woods and he converted to Christianity. He became a Methodist. Um, Methodist preacher came out and preached to him. Um, Richard Allen then in turn, Richard Allen, his brother, in turn went back to their master or to their enslaver and preached the gospel to him. He ended up getting saved as well. Wow. Um, because he got saved, uh, Stokely Sturgis got convicted and got convicted about owning slaves. And he was like, this is not right. This like is something's, unbelievable. Uh, something's <laughs> wrong with this. And he offered Richard Allen, his brother, the opportunity to buy their freedom. Wow. Because he didn't want to own slaves anymore. So um, after working for about five years, they earned up to, they saved up to $2,000 and were able to buy their freedom. Mm. So $2,000 uh, back in the 1700s is about uh, six, it's about seventy six thousand dollars. I bet it is yeah, two hundred thousand. So. Two two thousand dollars today is still a nice, you know. Yeah, that's a nice chunk. It's a nice chunk <laughs> of pocket change right there. So wow. So um, in seventeen eighty three um, is when he was able to buy his freedom. Him and his brother, they were to buy their freedom, and um, they were no longer no longer slaves. They were free and. After uh, buying his freedom, Richard Allen started to preach the gospel. He started becoming a traveling preacher himself, just like the man who shared the gospel with him. And he started preaching at different Methodist churches and Methodist meetings in the Baltimore area. You know, that's where your people from. So oh, yes. he might have preached the gospel to some of your people back in the you know 1700s, some of your, some of your ancestors down there. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in 1776, he returned to Philadelphia and he joined a church called um, St. George's. Methodist Episcopal Church, still around right now in Philadelphia. And he joined that church and continued to be active preaching the gospel. Um, they allowed him to preach uh, a, a service early in the morning um, to the black congregants of the church. And then in the, um, the during the regular uh, morning service, when uh, the white uh, members of the church came, they were still allowed to be in there. Like they actually... It wasn't segregated mm. when he first got there. It was they were all they all worshiped together. Wow. Which kind of surprised me when I read it, because, you know, you, when we think yes. about, you know, the U.S. in the past, in mm -hmm. 17, 1780s, mm -hmm. you would assume that everything is segregated. Of but, course. That's um, surprising. So. As time went on and more black members started to join because of Richard Allen's preaching, mm -hmm. uh, one of his goals is that Richard Allen wanted um uh, the Africans that lived in Philadelphia to to hear the gospel and wanted them to be saved. Like he cared for their souls. Like of he course. wanted them to be saved. And more people, uh, as he preached the gospel to, to the more Africans, more started joining St. George's. It kind of became a problem for some of the people at St. George's and they instituted segregated seating. Mm. So they instituted mm. the segregated seating. That kind of was the first, you know, the first shoe dropping for Richard Allen and some of the other uh, 
uh, higher members of the black society to say, hey, you know, maybe we should start looking into possibly starting our own church because, you know, things are starting to it was starting to a lot of pressure was being applied because of things like that, the segregation and stuff. So, um, in night or excuse me, in 1791, um, they came in to worship during the service and they went and sat in the seats where they thought that they could sit Mm. And they were having a prayer time. They were on their knees praying. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was Richard Allen. Um, it was a gentleman named Absalom Jones mm-hmm. um, and William White and a few other, about 50 other uh, black congregants. Mm-hmm. And while they were praying, uh, one of the men, one of the white members of the church, a bishop or uh, maybe one of the elders or one of the deacons, tried to tell them to move and he came to Absalom Jones and said, hey, you guys got to move right now while he's wow. praying. So Absalom, so Richard Allen said that, and this is in his narrative that he wrote. Mm-hmm. So Richard Allen said that he looked up because he heard the commotion mm-hmm. and, you know, he saw this take place that Absalom Jones said, well, let us finish praying, you know, and we'll get up and go, you know, we'll move. And he said, no, you need to move now. He physically grabbed him and tried to pull him up mm-hmm. off of his knees to move them. Mm-hmm. And with wow. that, when Richard Allen and the other members saw that, the prayer was just kind of ending at the same time. All 50 of them and all 50 of the black Congress with them got up and walked out. Wow. And it kind of, you know, we can consider that maybe the first kind of boycott, Wa- boycott, walk you know, out. maybe, wow. you know, like the seeds of the, you know, <clears throat> the civil rights movement mm-hmm. planted back mm-hmm. early and maybe, it's just been germinating for a while until they sprouted again in the 1950s. That's but, good. That's good. Yeah. But yeah, like they um, they walked out. And at that point, Richard Allen and, and Absalom Jones said, we're going to start. Um, we we want to be able to worship God with dignity. Of course. Of course. And, and not, you know, and not be treated like, you know, where it feels like we can't even worship God without being safe. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Wow. Wow. I see a lot of connections to that, even like mm-hmm. today, mm-hmm. you know, with uh, brothers and sisters around the world. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. OK, that's good. Yeah. So. Um, so they rented out. Uh, th- when they walked out, they went and rented out their own building and they began meeting, meeting on their own. Um, but they wanted to own the building. Okay. So they wanted to, okay. they did kind of written out a little spot yes. where they could, you know, just meet and, <laughs> and have service, but they wanted to own the building. So what happened was, um, they got help from a gentleman named Benjamin Rush. Um, ben- Why does that name sound familiar? Benjamin so, Rush. So Benjamin Rush signed the declaration of independence. Okay. Like he was, he was a doctor. Uh, he's Dr. Benjamin Rush from wow. Philadelphia, um, signed the declaration of independence. Uh, he had always been an abolitionist, um, even, you know, before there was a United States of America and Benjamin Rush was able to get support to be able to, to, for Richard Allen and Absalom Jones to help them to be able to construct their own building. Wow. And they built the first AME church, Bethel, Bethel AME church in Philadelphia and Bethel AME church is still open in Philadelphia today. Wow. It's still around. So wow. Bethel AME church became the first, you know, Black Christian denomination uh, in the United States. Okay. 
eventually they be eventually they didn't start as the AME like when they built Bethel. Okay. But eventually, um, after a few other black congregations begin to pop up um, around in the northeastern area, um, Baltimore and you know New Jersey. Okay. Okay. They all came together and formed the AME uh, African Methodist Episcopal Episcopal denomination. Okay. Wow. Yep. So. And that actually happened on April 9th, okay. April 9th, uh, 1816. So a couple of decades, you know, after they, you know, left the church. And, of course. Yeah. But um, part of that, though, was they wanted to stay Methodist in the beginning. Like they, they didn't intend to leave the Methodist denomination. But what happened was because the Methodist church wanted control over them and they wanted to to put their own preachers there. Of course. And not not have it be Richard Allen or Absalom Jones. Mm-hmm. And Richard Allen and Absalom Jones said, no, we don't. We don't need you to put a preacher here. Like mm-hmm. we, we're our mm-hmm. own congregation. And after that, that's when they decided to just leave the Methodist mm-hmm. denomination and form their own denomination. Of course. I mean, that makes sense. Yep. <laughs> um, it's just some other things that. uh by Richard Allen. So Richard Allen also established a school for black children. Like he really was big into education. He thought that education um, was the kind of the key uh, for a black uplift in that time. Um, he hated slavery. Of course. Um, and he refused to separate himself from his uh, brothers and sisters in bondage. Mm. Like even though he was free and he wasn't currently being uh, held captive mm-hmm. he refused to separate himself and say well I'm free so their plight doesn't worry me mm. so he, he is, his house was a stop on the Underground Railroad um, wow. as people continued north uh, into no- more northern states or into Canada and so wow that's awesome that's amazing yep um, <laughs> another thing that he supported obviously with him starting his own denomination he supported black self-determination okay that they didn't need um, that that Africans, African Americans didn't need um didn't need white people telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. Like they could determine for themselves, you know, their future and mm-hmm. their plans. Um and he opposed plans to send uh free Africans who were born in the United States back to Africa. Oh, like the he, Garveyism kind of is uh, like that? N- not necessarily so they had the United States <laughs> government actually sponsored a plan mm, to start, right. to try to send Africans back to um Africa. Yes. Like Liberia was Liberia. a colony started exactly by the United it. States. Yeah. Yeah. But he opposed it because he believed that this was our country too. Mm-hmm. And this was their country too. They mm-hmm. had built it. They had helped to establish a lot of the Yes. Rightfully so. Right, rightfully so. They fought for uh they fought for independence against of Britain course. too. Of course. And so he was like, No, we're not leaving. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> and so um they actually, um, so Richard Allen and Absalom Jones actually were the first um, black or African-Americans to be published in wow, the United States, too. Wow. Another thing I learned, I didn't know this either. <laughs> um, so in, in 1793, there was a uh, outbreak of yellow fever in Philadelphia. Um, a lot of the well-to-do people left. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The people who were left there couldn't leave. They didn't have the funds to leave. Of course. They didn't have the, the ways and means to get out of the city. Of course. And so they were sick. Um, Benjamin Rush, Dr. Benjamin Rush, came to Absalom Jones and Richard Allen to ask him and say, hey, 
a good thing. Uh, there, there were some terrible medical views back then. They thought that because <laughs> black people were from Africa and that they were immune to yellow fever. Mm. They were not. Okay. But along with those terrible medical views, Benjamin Rush also believed that if they stayed and helped, people may have a, a, a better view of them. Mm. And so Richard Allen wow. and, and Absalom Jones and a lot of the black uh, people who ended up leaving St. George's and were in that congregation and Bethel's congregation stayed in Philadelphia and they took care of the people who were sick and dying with yellow fever. They got rid of the, the bodies from the streets. They they cared for the people. Wow. And stayed there. Even though they did that for the sole purpose, kind of having a better reputation. Mm -hmm. There was a guy who wrote a book, uh, an Irish immigrant, and I don't mm -hmm. have his name and I wish I did. Mm -hmm. But this guy wrote a book essentially saying that the black people who stayed there were stealing. Mm. And so in response wow. to that, Absalom Jones and Richard Allen published a book and okay. that became their first published book. There goes the book. Wow. And so, I don't know if you know anything about book titles mm -hmm. from the 1700s, <laughs> but I will tell you the book titles from the 1700s are long. The title of the book has everything that the book is about. <laughs> that the book discussed right in there. the title. There we go. So the title of the book is uh, A Narrative of the Proceedings of the Black People During the Late Awful Calamity in Philadelphia. In the year 1793. Well, so, there it is. Yeah. So it tells you exactly what the book is about. <laughs> okay. But it just discusses uh, Absalom Jones and Richard Allen's uh, experiences during the yellow fever outbreak mm. uh, during 1793 in Philadelphia. Wow. Now, can you get that anywhere that's like public? Um, that yes. Like public so, domain yes. Be, so because it's so old, it's on the public mm -hmm. domain. Okay. okay. You, know, you can actually just go. If you type that long title in. Yeah. Um, you can go and you can just download it and, and you'll have it. Yep. Download it in a PDF. Um, and just to, you know, kind of close everything out on Richard Allen or close some of the what, what I have here. So Richard Allen's faith informed everything that he did. OK. Um, he believed that, you know, he that God was the one who informed um, what he was doing, mm. whether it was caring for people with yellow fever, whether it was leaving the church that he felt um, was not allowed in the worship with dignity. And one of the things that uh, he wrote, there's a scripture um, that he wrote in the beginning of his narrative after the title and after the, you know, this was published by and this was published here in this year, the first thing that he writes is Psalm 30, Psalm 37, 37. And if this scripture kind of sums up Richard Allen's life and it sums up like how he lived. Mm. I was going to read that. So okay. Psalm 37, 37 says, mark the blameless and behold the upright for there is a future for the man of peace. And so wow. that's kind of that's the scripture that he felt described the way that he lived his life. Mm -hmm. And he um, Richard Allen is one of the kind of one of the dopest guys in history. And I feel mm -hmm. like in, in church history, in U.S. history, of course, like one of these guys that we should be looking to today, you know, as Christians, as Americans, is kind of an example of, you know, the things that. And that our founding documents say 
uh, our country should be about. Mm -hmm. And when we look um, like in Hebrews, um, when it talk in, in the Hall of Faith, one of the last verses, it said people who are not worthy of this world, people mm -hmm. who the world is not worthy of. Wow. Like, that's Richard Allen. Of course. To me. Like of course. the world wasn't worthy of this guy mm. to be here. So. Wow. Wow, I have chills. Yeah. It's just crazy. It's it's uh, it's just to me I say crazy, but I, I just feel like I feel a lot of things. I feel sad that I didn't know about these people. Um, you know, you know, Richard Allen and Absalom Jones. Mm -hmm. Like they should be in our history books. We should know about these people. They were working with essentially and supported by like our founding father, one of them. Like yeah. he knew the importance. He knew their importance. And he uh, you know, he believed in um, you know, what they were doing. Probably when other people had turned them down and said, No, we're not gonna back you and um no, you you know what right you don't have a right to to own land like they they purchased their own land yep. which is um which is just like you said we're looking at these stories with another point of view um and and you know when we've been told and taught well you know the uh, black americans they didn't own land you know they couldn't own land and you know because they weren't human and you know we know um, that they had a different point of view because they were Christians. So they knew that they were made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. So they knew what the word was saying to them as far as these are the true rights that mm -hmm. we really have. And to press forward with that is amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I had a, you know, I, I love reading. So <laughs> I had a great time, like just finding out new things. I knew a lot about Richard Allen. Okay. But okay. I had a great time finding out other things about him that I didn't know. Mm. Um, like, so we know that during slavery, they uh, didn't want people to read. I uh, didn't want uh, the slaves to learn to read. Mm -hmm. So Richard Allen learned to read because um, his, uh, uh, he learned to read just by, from being around, like just listening. <laughs> and wow. He learned to read. Wow. And like it wasn't taught to him. And I think even back then, even though he wasn't um, like he, he talked about his enslaver being uh, kind. I don't think his enslaver was like trying to prevent him to, from reading, you know, because he was being vindictive. He just was like, you don't need to read, you know, you. You know, y'all working in the field. Like, mm, mm -hmm. And so he didn't have a need to teach him to read. But Richard Allen was like, no, I need to learn to read because, you know, I need to be able to read the scriptures. Like, wow. So, <laughs> just wow. Yeah. So mm, it's something about just something about that. Like how I don't know. It's just truth. When you have the truth, it's just kind of hard to go back. Like when you know, like I know too much is what I'm thinking. <laughs> like when you know what you know, like I can't go back. And so you kind of, you know, for me, I would, we all, all of us could say, well, if I were born back then, what I would have done. And it's like, you will never really know unless you are in that person's shoes and be able to feel the weight the bag of bricks on their back and the cost of their lives and livelihood and all of those things, um, being a true outcast, yeah. um, even unfortunately amongst, um, 
believers, people Mm -hmm. who claim to, uh, you know, be disciples of God, you know, disciples of Christ, like even having to stand up and say, that is not Christ. That Mm -hmm. is not of God. Like, oh my goodness. Like, ooh, like I said, it gives me chills. It's like, would I have been the one to stand up, you know? And, and I can honestly say like, I don't have an answer because I, you know, I was not there and then and in, in, in those shoes, but that's awesome, Roland. Oh, that's just awesome to me. Like, oh, all of this is knowledge and and a history that we just don't know, right? And um, it's so good for us to have this knowledge, and and we know how even important how God says, you know, uh, about you know what happens when people don't have this knowledge, right? Yeah, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge, you know. And so, okay, well, I would like to talk about one person and it's just going to be really quick. And I know this will not be enough time to talk about this major, (laughs) major individual whom I hope that most of us have have heard of. Um, I would like to talk about Sojourner Truth. Okay. Um, now I'm, I know that you've probably heard of Sojourner Truth, <laughs> um, but you know some things that I found out, like I didn't realize. I knew the name when I first heard of her name. I was a young girl, and I was able to learn about her because I was in Detroit, and we know how um, rich Detroit is in Black history, Black American history. So I had educators in grade school who made sure that I knew about Sojourner Truth, and they were Black men and women, Black educators, and so. I just remember when I first heard that name, I I just said to myself, that's not a real name. Like, who's going to name who would name their child Sojourner? Like, that sounds more like I'm hearing journey, a mission, like what's going on. But um, I did want to share just um, like I said, the amount of time that I have now is not going to do her justice. And I'm sure that we're hoping that everyone will go and Google these individuals. and if you don't know how to spell their names, that's fine. You can talk to your smart speaker and and just tell them, you know, tell me a little bit more about them. But I want to share about Sojourner Truth. Um, she actually was born, um, correct me if I'm saying her name incorrectly, Isabella Bomfrey. Mm-hmm. And um, so long ago, and as we know about many, even, you know, um, white men and women who were born in America, depending on when you were born, uh, and if you were born in the backwoods, there may not be a, a true record mm-hmm. of of your birth. But, um, you know, especially when we have individuals, black uh, men and women who are born into slavery, there may not be a record for that. So we do know that she was born around uh, in Rifton, New York, and um, she actually died in Battle Creek, Michigan. So right down the road here um, from us. And it's really cool. If you go there now, you can go to the Oak Hill Cemetery and um, and that's where she is uh, laid to rest there. Um, but she was an, an American abolitionist, of course, an African-American abolitionist and women's rights activist. Um, she was born into slavery. So again, like I said, um, not having the record, there may be a record uh, there, but her name wouldn't be there. She would actually be listed probably just as a female, you know, um, and that would be it. But she escaped. She escaped from slavery with an infant daughter um, in 1826. So for me, I know that my family has done a lot of hard work to research the, my family's history. And I do know that I have, you know, a great grandfather who escaped slavery um, from North Carolina. But to know that a woman with an infant child 
with a baby escape slavery is just mind boggling to me. Like, how did you get that baby to sleep? And how did you stop that kid from crying when you may have had, you know, slave catchers and, and, and all of these type of people coming after you? It's just mind blowing to me, you know, that she decided to do it, you know, with all of those things, um, you know, going against her. And, you know, she eventually went to court. Mm-hmm. She went to court to um, recover her son um, from, you know, uh, slavery, essentially. Um, but she went and recovered him and she became the first black woman um, to win such a case like that yep. against a white man. So just precedent, just so much information that should we should know, you know, but it's OK if we don't know. We hope that you're learning about this and, and um, learning more information about her. These are things, Roland, I just I did not know. I was like, what? She went to court. What was she? She was testifying. Oh, my gosh. Just <laughs> this, you know, runaway slave. Yep. The audacity. Right. uh, How dare you? The audacity. Um, But, you know, when you start to peel away the layers um, about these individuals, then you learn like she had a mission. And when you uh, believe that your mission is from God, I just feel like. Uh, there's a Christian rapper, his name is Dayton, mm-hmm. and he has a line from one of his songs. He says, homie, you can't budge me. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't move me. When I know that God has called me to do something, you can't move me. And so I just really thought that um, that was just amazing to me. It's, it's documented that she felt that um, God gave her that name. Sojourner Truth. Um, and she, they said she felt like, you know, he convinced her to leave the city. She had a call. Um, we know of many um, people in, in the history, throughout biblical history, who have had a call. We know the, that first father who had a call um, to go out um, from God. And she said, you know what? I felt that um, God called me to leave the city and to go into the countryside to testify, uh, testify the hope that was in her. Just amazing. And so she talks about that in a very, very well-known speech that she delivered um, in 1851 in Akron, Ohio, at the Ohio Women's Rights Convention. And um, that speech became uh, widely known throughout the Civil War by the title, Ain't I a Woman? Ain't I a Woman? Um, And so the thing about that was just You know, people got to hear this black woman who, you know, was at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to positions in America. And we can argue that, you know, that's kind of still where black women are, even though the stats will show that black women in America um, really, you know, the stats, Mm -hmm. they are the most educated group of, of Americans. Like you can go read the numbers. They have the most number of degrees um, at looking at any like people group. Um, But, and that's not to say like, Ooh, we're going to, but I'm just saying at that point in time, um, the audacity, I'm using that word again Mm -hmm. for her to proclaim that she's a woman when your status in this country is pretty much obsolete. And so that, that very famous speech, um, uh, she goes and she shares that. And, um, you know, she, you know, grew up in New York, 
she had her, you know, her her New York accent, but she actually, you know, grew up speaking Dutch um, and that Dutch was her first language. So just things that I didn't know about her and I thought was really, really um, amazing. And so, yes, she did that. You know, it was known throughout the Civil War because she's giving that speech, I'm sure, hundreds of times over. But she was actually someone who recruited uh, men and women to fight, um, you know, during the Civil War. And she helped recruit like, essentially black troops for the Union Army. And um, she didn't stop there. So like after the war, she went back to the government and tried to secure land grants um, from the federal government because there was a promise of 40 acres and a mule mm-hmm. um, to, to, you know, black Americans, essentially, like if you come and fight, you will get land because we understand um, then and even now the importance of land ownership, mm-hmm. of home ownership. We all know that we, we know how important that is for um, our families and for our family's future. And it was just really sad because we know, obviously, that it was an unsuccessful attempt, Mm -hmm. right, Uh, to secure those lands. And and, and that fight is still going on today. Reparations for, you know, black Americans, um, you know, who can show we had in the uh, Ancestors who were enslaved, um, ancestors who endured Jim Crow, lynching and all of those things, losing land that was taken from them and being pushed out in the middle of the night for fear of being lynched. You know, there are thousands, probably millions of stories that can be told. Um, But she, you know, just had, you know, the audacity to say, hey. Remember what you promised, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, give us what, what you give us, what we what's owed to us. Mm-hmm. And so she just continued that fight on behalf of black Americans, women and, you know, until her death. Um, and so, you know, she was bold. Uh, there's, you know, in her biography, um, the author talks about like, you know, at a time when most Americans thought of slaves as male um, and women as white so when your your picture, your mind is, oh, a slave, you're thinking about this strong black man mm-hmm. tending the soil and on the field and picking cotton or in the rice, mm-hmm. you know, like you black women are, are non-existent. Yeah. Like we don't even yeah, think exactly. of that. When we hear women, we're yeah. thinking about white women. Yep. Right. She was just bold. She was bold um, enough to say, like, you know, hey, black women are here, too. Yep. And um, and so there there is a memorial of her um, as I end here. And it was in, uh, unveiled in 2009. So, mm-hmm. you know, recently. Um, and it's at the in the Emancipation Hall at the U.S. Capitol Visitor, Visitor Center. Mm-hmm. And she actually uh, is the first African-American woman to have a statue in the Capitol building, which is mind boggling to me. Why, why did it take that long? Why, why has it taken so long? But um, she was also included in the Smithsonian. So, you know, our national museums, um, their magazine of the hundred most significant Americans of all time. And so there's so much more that I could share, but just the boldness and the audacity, like for me, when I stopped to think like, how could, how could someone be so brave? I feel like when you know that God is on your side and when you know that, you know, what you're doing is right, like you just can't be stopped. You cannot be stopped because you know that it's not you. Mm -hmm. It's someone and something that's bigger than you. Yeah. 
that's kind of, you know, just moving you there. So yeah, that's, that's definitely, I had to share Sojourner Truth. Oh, so no. of course. Yeah. The, the thing about men, uh, about women like Sojourner Truth and men like Richard Allen is they, um, like you use the word audacity. They had the audacity to listen to what God said yes. and then do it. Like, and believe it. So I, I feel like what, um, what we should take from, from them is like when God moves us to do something, particularly something that we know is right, the right thing to do, that we ought to, um, we ought to do it. Oh. We ought to do it with. My eyes know. are rolling in the air because <laughs> I'm just feeling, I'm, I'm being chastised right now. Just do it. We ought just to do, do it. it. Do it with the conviction <laughs> um, that God is behind us. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what would you do? What would you say to somebody if you knew that behind you was like an army of oh people that had your back? You would talk crazy. You would say anything. You it, know. Is this making me think about that? whole? Is it is it a Negro spiritual? Like, I, I shall not be moved. I, I don't know what it is, but there's a song that says like, I, like it's it's a gospel song. Mm. Yeah, I feel like I'm I'm. You can't move me. You right. can't stop me. Right. Because there's more than just me. There are hundreds right. of me. It's not me. It's, it's God there. Mm. And if God is telling you to to move, if God is telling you to do something, then we ought to do it. We have to do it. Like that's what uh, the, the the founders of our, you know, the fathers and mothers of our faith have always done. Mm-hmm. You know, from the beginning, from Abraham until mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, God told them to do something, they, they do it. So that's what I really think we should take from them, that they were following in the footsteps of the fathers of the faith before, the fathers and mothers of the faith before them. And... Richard Allen, Sojourner Truth. Amazing. Yeah, two of the dopest people for sure. Just just amazing. Amazing. Wow, Roland, thank you so much. This is great. This was great. I'm looking forward to <laughs> the <had> next. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it too. So. The next edition of this. So yeah. awesome. Thanks for bringing me along. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for being here with me. I couldn't be here talking to myself. So Okay. <laughs> or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll come back next time. All right. So thank you for listening. And uh, we hope that you'll join us next time. We'll be talking about uh, maybe somebody you heard of or maybe not. Awesome. All right. Peace.